Welcome to Copy That, a show about learning on the creative side of things. I'm Dan Portnoy, and I'm glad you're here. So uh, this week, we've got a longtime friend of the show, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, His name is Tim Grawl. He's an author, and he's been uh, putting authors on the New York Times bestseller list for almost a decade now. And uh, his first book, Your First Thousand Copies, uh, sold like hotcakes, and it was uh, just some ideas if you're an author and you're trying to get your book out. This is actually a really, for 10 bucks, you get a lot of insight into uh, what Tim has done. And at one point, I think in his career, he had seven clients on the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, it's pretty impressive um, that way. And then his second book, Book Lunch Blueprint, was also about books and it was gotten to the nitty gritty a little more on how to uh, get your book out there. Um, his latest book is about that, but it's not about books. It's about his process behind that. It was what was going on behind the scenes. The book is called Running Down a Dream, and I was fortunate enough to work with Tim on the audiobook of this. And um, it was it was even surprising for me um, in the manuscript, and we're going to get into that, but there was times in, in this process that Tim was going through a whole bunch of uh, tough things, and I was right next to him, and I didn't know about it. And so it's actually kind of wild uh, as we talk about it and jumping in. I mean, it's pretty normal that we, we try to shield the people around us from terrible things that we're going through. Um, we're, I don't know if it's normal, but I, I would just say it's it, it seems... You know, we don't want to change the status quo in our relationships. And when you're hurting or when things are going tough, it's really kind of a rough go to share that information and to still feel like you're on level ground. So it's totally understandable that that people don't do that. And so this is actually interesting because Tim gets into some serious, serious stuff. And we talk about it on the show today. And I'm so glad uh, that you're joining us for it. So, uh why don't we just get into it? So my guest today is Tim Grawl. He's a longtime buddy of mine, but he's also a big deal. And so uh, having him on the show, Tim, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it. All right. Well, so you've, you're you're just coming out with your book. This is your third book um, called right. Running Down a Dream. It's out on Black Irish Books, which is the um, uh, s- same place where we can find a lot of Steve Pressfield's books and also um, the story grid from Sean Coyne. Uh, Wow, that's a, that's that's a nice little upgrade. Yeah, yeah, it was exciting. I mean, I kind of came into it backwards, where I was working with Sean uh, on a, another podcast, and then it just kind of became this natural progression where I was working on a book and asked if it's something they'd be interested in, and since I was already working with them, uh, it made sense for them to bring it on. So yeah, I'm super excited and feel like over the moon that my book gets to sit alongside even Sean's books. It's pretty exciting. Your other pieces have been, uh, your other pieces have been really more like how to's on book publishing on how to, I mean, cause you're, you're well known for, for making books uh, to hit the bestseller lists and um, driving people's um, following and, and just kind of making a frenzy uh, that way. Now this book is completely different though. It's funny because it's like I've had the conversations where I'm like, this is not the smartest move for me to write this book because like I have a business and I promote the business and it's, you know, it's book marketing. And so I wrote two books on that. And like the logical next step would for me to write a third book on the same topic to continue to grow the audience. Um, But 
you know, I started working on this book two years ago and, you know, as these things do, it morphs and grows and changes and it, um, and it became something very different than what I was planning on writing. And, but then I, you know, I still wanted to publish it. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely a departure for me. And for me, it became something where, you know, I really wanted to tell a story about what it's really like to try to succeed at something. Because I feel like most of the time you read stuff and there's usually like a couple painful moments, uh, but then they're like, yeah, but here's what I learned. And then it was all better. And mine was like, I had a really painful moment and then it got worse and then it got worse and then it got worse, you know, and, and working with so many creative people for so long, I feel like, um, that's the more common true story that's just never really told. And there's reasons for that and that's fine. But for me, it was important to share what the journey's really like. Uh, and so that's what I tried to do with running down a dream. Yeah. And I, def- I definitely think you did that because, because there were parts where I'm just like, Oh, always, oh, always oh, going there. Oh, okay. And it was interesting also for me, just like having known you through that entire time, there were parts of it that I was even shocked about that, that like, and I mean, it, it makes sense that you're not like disclosing like, Hey, here's all the terrible things in my life right now. But I was still kind of shocked that, um, I, I was caught a little unawares of it. Why, why go from, from not sharing it to sharing it? Well, I mean, it was not a, uh, it was not the way I tried to write the book. So I tried to write the book for a year and a half, like my other books, which is I'm the guru on a hill and I'm going to hand down the wisdom to the masses, right? So, uh, your first 1000 copies, my first book was just about like, I've been working with authors for a long time. We've been doing marketing. Here's what I've learned. Here you go. Um, and I kept writing this book this way and it kept not working. Uh, and you know, Sean's my editor and he would read it and he would, and you know, he'd say it in various ways, but basically he kept saying it's not good enough yet. It's not it. And it's not even like, it's not good enough as in like, um, like, you know, I've got to get better at playing the guitar before I can play in front of people. That's not what he meant. He meant like you haven't found the book yet. Hmm. And it's a really hard thing that I remember hearing people talk about in the past and not really understanding what they meant until I actually went through it myself, where it really became like, oh, here's the book. It's been sitting here the whole time, but I couldn't find it. And it was this moment where it was actually on the podcast, on the Story Group podcast, where we were talking about all this stuff. And I kept trying to make the beginning of the book about when I left my job, you know, and it was like this awesome thing where like I was leaving my day, my 40 hour work week job and I was going to work for myself and setting out on this adventure. And then while we were talking about it, I brought up how six months later is when I ran out of money and Candace, my wife wasn't working at the time. And it, you know, it was so it was all on me. We had a baby and I had to call my parents to ask for money because I ran out of money and it wasn't working and it wasn't working because something went wrong. It was not working because of me, right? It's not like 
I lost a major client or, you know, we had a huge bill I didn't know about. Like it was just, I wasn't doing it right. And so I start telling that story on the podcast. I start crying. And then Sean's like, and there's the beginning of your book. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's that's rough. And he had been trying to tell me like, you need to tell the story of where you like, because I kept saying like, here's all these tools for how to overcome creative resistance. First, you do this. Second, you do this. And he kept trying to tell me like, you need to tell the stories of where you found these things. And so then I realized, and this is what I was so afraid of and what I was putting off writing was I realized like every single thing I had learned, I had learned in a moment of pain. Hmm. And I think we all know that intuitively that like when everything's going great, we're like, this is awesome. Don't change anything. You know, it's when things are going really bad that we're forced to change. And so, of course, like over 10 years of trying to pull this thing off, I had like all these moments of pain that forced me to change. And so by what I did is I took all of the change, all the ways that I changed and I put them in the story of the pain. So you would understand where they came from. Mm. And, um, and so really it became every, like, cause once I cracked it, right. I had written a couple drafts. I'd rewritten part. I rewrote the introduction like eight times, like none of it was working. And once I cracked that, I sat down and wrote the thing start to finish. And when it was done, I knew it was done. Like I handed it to Sean, my editor, and just was, and we, of course, you know, had to go through editing and cleaning it up and all that, but the book was done. And it really became every morning I'd get, you know, drop my kids off to school. And on the way into the office, it was going back through my memory, trying to find the most painful stories I could because they're buried. Like I, a lot of the things in the book, I don't talk about, not just because they're not fun to talk about, but because I have actively shoved those, I, you know, shoved them in a box, locked it closed and chucked it in the ocean. And I had to go back down and pull those out and look at them again. So I would just sit and write and I would just cry because they were these like things that I've actively not thought about because they're so painful. And, but I think that for me, um, what it became for me is a way, and this is like, by the time I, you know, when I was writing it, I, I really was just like, I want people to understand what this is really like. Like, I want them to come along with me and I'm not, because we've all read the books that are like, it was like the introduction of the book was like, I hit this really hard time and then everything turned around and I'm going to teach everything I learned. Right. Mm-hmm. Where mine, which the, the problem is that that you know, I, I'm not knocking those books. Um, obviously I learned a lot of what I know from those type of books, but like I wanted to do something different, which was tell my truth about what it took to get to where I am now. Um, and what I think it takes, you know, what I, I was speaking to people, uh, a couple people like this small crowd last week. And my, what I said was nobody gets away with it. Like, Nobody gets away with it. Even the people that the first thing they try is a huge success, they also don't get away with it because all of their pain, it's actually worse for them, in my opinion. But like nobody. Because the, soft, the sophomore slump's coming. Right. Well, and like, um, yeah, you know, so my thing is like, let's just at least 
walk, you know, walk, come with me on this journey. I'll show you some things that are going to help you. But what I'm really going to show you is what it takes. Um, because, you know, it's running down a dream. So there's some running analogies there. And it's like, you know, your toenails are going to fall off. You know, are you ready for that? You know, like I don't run marathons because I like my toenails. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'm not interested <laughs> in the pain that's going to come from having accomplished that. And so I think really being honest about the pain of what the, I'm already getting email. The book's only been out a couple of weeks, but I'm already getting emails from people that are like, I thought I was doing it wrong because of all the pain. Mm, yeah. And they're like reading your book. I now know I'm doing it right. And that's why it's painful. You know, the, mm -hmm. the easy route is to like skip the whole race and like eat potato chips. And so, you know, deciding I'm going to keep going is the hardest part. And so it, for me, it became an important part of the book to, to tell the true story of where this came from, to tell my truth of what happened and where I ended up. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the 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 other part that that's such a big deal is the is the is the keep going, right? Because that's I mean, you, there's no question you're going to run into pain while you're pushing for something and you're striving for something. You're going to hit it. But I think the other fun part is that like your journey here, like I mean, I think you you put one of the right in the middle is like. I've achieved all the success and I feel terrible. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you talk about that, but the idea that you've got to keep going, cause like you could have stopped there and like everyone would have been fine in exterior. We would have said, Oh, Tim's doing it. It's amazing. But there's this other component to it, the, the internal. And, uh, that would have, if, if you had stopped right there, you'd be, I don't know. It's, it's one of those stories that could then be like, and then his whole life fell apart, but I could have sworn everything was great. What's your take to, on that? Well, I mean, in a way, this so this is where I've struggled with the book because my story is not all that um, interesting from a like this happens to like look at any major successful creative person and they either come to a point where they they stop trying to get more success in order to be happy or they die. Like there's just no in between. Um, like, because you have to come to a point where you realize, um, more success is not going to fix what I feel like is broken. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, again, my story is not like I came out with like a platinum selling album and then realized it like my story is a small story, but I realized that you know, these things should work on a sliding scale. So if I'm getting more successful, I should be feeling less broken in the process. And I reached a point where I had like accomplished everything I set out to do and I was just as miserable. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes, okay, well, now what? And I think it's what people do at that point. So in my life, I started a accelerated process to destroy my life um that then you know thankfully by the you know the hand of god and my wife you know pulled me out of it mm -hmm. um but like i think um 
you have to somehow get to the point where you're doing the work for the work's sake. You're not doing it for any other reason. Um, where you are not waiting for something outside of yourself to finally tell you you're okay. You have to believe you're okay, um, independent of anything external. For me, like book sales or accolades or certain people wanting me in their social groups or any of those things. Um, anytime you're tying your happiness to one of those things, you're in a, a very precarious position. And right. so, so I think it's important, you know, I had a, I had a buddy who said rock bottom is wherever you decide to stop. <laughs> you know, you don't have to lose everything to be at rock bottom. You can decide I'm done now. I need to find something new. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to talk about. One of the things I'm running into now is people are reading the book. So the book is my story. Like it's just my story and it's what I've learned in the process. Um, that, that doesn't mean I'm an expert on your story. Right. You know what I mean? So people are reading the book, it's bringing up some things for them. And then they come to me and they're like, well, now what? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, go, go figure it out. Right. They want you to be their rabbi. Yeah. But I think understanding that, um, if you're unhappy now, getting more of something will not fix that. Um, and so you being, con being happy with, you know, happy or okay or content or joyful or whatever the word is, has to come from a place other than outside. It has to come from inside. Hmm. And so, but what the story I was telling myself was, okay, if I could just get here, then I'll be okay. If I could just get here, then I'll be okay. And you get there and you... The problem is that you come with you, right? You right. know, so you just drag it along with you. I mean, this is like to to make like kind of a crass example. This is why like the same person marries and divorces the same person over and over and over. like it's different people, but they're just the same person, right? Right. It's right. because they are they are coming along with them to each of those marriages. So right. it's unhappy like, in your job means you're going to go to the next place and be unhappy in your job. Right. Exactly. And so stopping long enough to do some internal work, whatever that looks like for you so that you are okay, independent of what's happening around you. And I think you can find that if you look to you know, the mystics and the teachers and the rabbis or whatever in every religion, they're all saying the same thing, which is everything's crazy and you're okay. And so however you get there, like, I think that's what you've got to do because then you can do the work and it's free of the pressures that it's going to somehow make you something. So if if we segue then into one of the things that I think about, again, having been next to you during huge success, I just think of you as a grinder. Um, I think a lot of creative people like myself, I tend to think like, okay, I'm going to strike out, but I'm also going to get some home runs. And I'm really excited about these home runs. And it's, it's such a big thing. And these grand gestures are going to happen. And whether it's the launch of a new thing or it's putting out some, some big stuff, that's when I'm really making the steps. 
And I just, I don't know that your approach is the same. And and so, so I'd love to know more about it because I think that you just, you show up and you're going to get started and, and you're very methodical. That is definitely a, an adjective I would use with you. You don't, you just don't strike me as, as super flashy, but here we are. And, and I think that's actually a huge advantage for you. I don't know if you view yourself that way, but, but like when I think about it and I go, Oh, creative artist, I don't necessarily think of Tim Grawl, right? But we were going through the book and uh, recording it and everything and, and hearing the story and, and seeing all that. And I'm like, that this is exactly what an artist is. This is exactly a creative professional. And I'm a guy who's been around the block a few times. So it's not like I, I, I didn't feel like I was super biased, but here I was like going, this is you, you were, you were a different kind of bird for me through this process. So what does that look like to you? Am I off? Am I out of whack? What do you, what do you think? No, I mean, I, so I don't set a lot of goals. Um, I think goals, um, can be as much, uh, cause as much long-term damage as they help short-term. I think they're very short-term kind of things. And so my thing is, um, I want to figure out what I want to be. Um, so if I want to be a writer, um, how do I become, uh, a writer more than like writing a book? Right. So I want to write books, but that is, uh, but to me, if I try to write a book, I will finish the book and then now what? So that that's fine if you only have a short like I have things in my life where I'm like I'm just going to do this thing because I'm interested in doing this thing and then I'm going to do it and I'm going to be done and that's fine. But um for bigger things of like okay I want to be a writer well a writer has is more about the fact that like I'm writing and I'm becoming a better writer. And I know if I keep writing and I keep becoming a better writer, I will get, I will automatically hit any goal I could possibly set. Right. Mm -hmm. So books will automatically come out of that. You know, I've got idea, you know, I want to do like screenplays at some point, like I want to write for different websites, like all of that's fine. Uh, and I want those things, but, um, I will automatically get closer to those things if I just become a better writer that grinds on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of think of it as like, uh, you ever like, you know, if you're like in a lake and you're like, okay, I'm going to swim from here to that point over there. But like, you know, I don't open my eyes underwater. So I just kind of point myself in that direction. I put my face in the water and I just start swimming and I'm swimming and I'm swimming and I'm swimming. And then after a little while, I stop, I pop my head up and I'm like, oh, I'm going a little off. Let me recorrect. Okay, let's go this direction now. Okay, put my face back in the water and I just swim and swim and swim and swim. And that's kind of how I think about my work is like each day I'm putting my head down and I'm grinding on what needs to be ground on today with a general understanding of here are the places I'm trying to go. And then from time to time, I reassess where I'm, if I'm heading in the right direction. And if I find I'm not heading in the right direction, I'm like, okay, well, what should I be, where do I want to go? Let me start grinding in that direction. And actually, 
it's sometimes a problem because I tell Can I tell Candace, my wife, I'm like, I'm like a I'm like a train. Like you put me on tracks and you say go that direction. And I will literally never even stop to consider if that's a good direction until somebody comes <laughs> along and is like, hey, are you going the right direction? I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. Mm. I need to get on some different tracks. But it is helpful if I'm heading in the right direction because I literally, I don't think about it. This is just how I work. Sure. Is I just think like, okay, I want to be a writer. What can I do today? that if I do this on a regular enough basis, I'll eventually become the thing I want to be. And I do this in kind of every area of my life, right? So like fitness is the same way of like, I just set up something where if I just show up and do this three times a week, eventually I'll be fit. But what's even better is I will keep being fit. So it's not about reach. It's not about like, I got to lose 12 pounds because then once you lose 12 pounds, you're like, what do I stop now? Like what now mm. what, you know? And so my thing is like, find something that you can just do and you don't have to force yourself to do it. You just do. And you just show up, it's in your schedule and you just do that knowing if I do that for six months, I'll get closer to where I want to be. But also it is something I will do forever mm-hmm. until I decide I'm heading in the wrong direction. Right. So. I do think of myself that way and I want, and I feel like that is how I get to all the places I'm trying to go is I don't really shoot directly at them. Like with this book, I didn't have a pub date in mind. I didn't have, you know, ended up being a completely different book than I set out to write, but it was just like, I'm going to be writing this book and I just grind on it until it's done. And then it's like, and now it's time to publish it. Mm-hmm. So but I'm already like working on the next thing. Like the book is there and now I'm because I'm a writer. So that, that happens independently on whether or not a new book has come out is okay. I still have to write today. Right. Well, how do you, how do you manage the motivation then? Cause it sounds like, it sounds like you're the, the stuff that you're, especially when we talk about books, I mean, it could be a year or two years, like, like in this case before, anything comes out or I think about what you're doing with story grid. And I mean, in story grid, especially in the beginning, I feel like you just walked into the ring and Sean beat you up every time. Every episode was just like, Oh, well, how's, how's Tim going to get beat up today? Well, Oh, and like, how do you deal with that in terms of motivation? Because, because that's usually the issue is not like I can take a hit. I can, you know, somebody can say your stuff is terrible and I'll be like, fine. But if if it happens, you know, for a month every day or or for a year every day where it's just like I'm not getting positive response to anything. How do you how do you stay in the ring? That's a great question. I'm not sure. Let me think about it for a second. <laughs> I want to be better. Like, that's what drives me is I want to be better at whatever it is I'm setting out to do, whether it's writing, jujitsu, being a father, cooking eggs. You know, like my driver is I just want to be better. I want to I want to get better at this thing. And so I don't really care. Um, I'm not overly concerned with success or failure. 
especially on the micro. That means nothing to me because um, when you start at something and even after you've been doing something for five years, you're supposed to still suck at it. Like it takes 10 years of concerted work in, no, in general, it's just a nice round number to be helpful, but it takes 10 years of concerted effort to become good at something like legitimately good at something. Right. So when I think about working with Sean, I'm like, my only thought is I basically found it'd be to me, it'd be like, I want to learn to play basketball. And Michael Jordan came along and was like, I'll teach you. It's like, that dude can tell me whatever he wants to tell me. He can say whatever he wants to say because I just want to get better at basketball. And look, Michael Jordan's giving me advice. I'm just going to do whatever he says. Mm-hmm. So to me, it it becomes a um, my motivation. I don't I don't even think about motivation because I don't really care about anything other than am I on the path that is getting me where I want to be. Cause if, you know, I have like these, you know, I feel like my goals are now that I've like said, don't have goals. Like my kind of view of my life in the future is very emotional as far as like, I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know where I'll live. I don't know who will be in my life, but it will feel this way. Mm. And, um, and so, and then it becomes, that is literally all I care about. So um, I don't care about short term if people think I'm an idiot. I don't care if my work is horrible at the beginning. I don't care if I fail and fail and fail. Uh, none of that bothers me. I mean, it does. Of course, it bothers me. Like, you know, when Sean tells me my writing sucks, it's like, yeah, that doesn't feel good. But that's like a minor hiccup and what I'm going after. Mm. You know, my thing is I am running down a dream and these things are hard and I want, and you know, I always want, I would, I will, again, we, we, none of us get away with it. Right. So all of us are going to feel pain. So do I want to feel the pain of Sean making me better? Or I do, do I want to feel the pain of going another two years without writing a book? Ooh, Yeah. So I will take the public flogging from Mm -hmm. Sean because that is, if I compare that to what it will feel like in two years to not have written, it's a minor blip on the radar. Yeah. Good point. Good point. One through this process, through this process though, you've had a ton of people connect with you because they're like, wow, I'm in the same spot. Yeah. Right. Honestly, from a, from a writing perspective, because that's exactly what so many writers want. You're like, I want the feedback from the big dog. So they get that feedback. And then and I've seen very smart people not trust that. How do you consistently just make that up in your mind to that you're going to keep trusting in in scenarios like that? Well, so that's an ego thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. So let's let's break down what you just said. So I say I, okay, let's use the basketball example again, right? So I want to get better at basketball. So I seek out Michael Jordan, who knows, some great basketball player. He's literally the only one that comes to mind because I don't follow basketball. So, (laughs) um, and then he gives me advice. Now, if I argue with him, 
or in any way disagree with him, like I am now saying, Michael Jordan, I know more about this than you do. That's what you're saying when you argue with somebody is you think you know better. And so at that point, I'm believing one of two things. I'm believing that I actually do know more than Michael Jordan or, and what I found in myself is, um, I'm actually insecure about the fact that I don't know this, even though I just asked for help. And so now I, my ego kicks in and I want to argue. Mm. So I reached a point and I talk about this in the book. I reached the point several years ago with my first book that a good friend, Jill Murphy called me out on this and was like, why, if you don't trust me, ask somebody else's opinion and leave me alone. <laughs> you know, like, and it's, 100% true. So at that point, I made a decision that if I ever get a chance to talk to somebody about, ask advice from somebody who is an expert at what they do, my first job is to decide they're the excer expert. And if they're not, I need to go find somebody else. And then once they give me advice, I am not allowed to argue. I just do it because they know more than me. And the mm. only thing I'm doing by arguing with them or, or pushing back is dealing with my own ego right. um, and my own insecurity, which is not their responsibility. I need to go off and figure that out on my own. And so I just, and what I have found is it's extremely freeing because I run my own business. I'm a dad, I'm a, I'm a husband, you know, I got all this stuff I'm in charge of. And so when I get a mentor and turn this part of my life over to them, I don't have to make decisions anymore. All I have to do is what they tell me to do. And then if it doesn't work, it's not really, I don't worry about it. Like, it's just like, hey, they told me to do it. I'm going to do it. I no longer have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And literally every major advancement in my skill set, whether it's running a business or writing or anything, has been within six months of me doing that. Because you just, sh you shut off all the voices, you stop Googling stuff. Like I don't Google how to write great stories anymore because mm -hmm. I got Sean telling me what to do and I trust right. him. Right. And so then I just do what I'm told and lo and behold, I progressively get better. And so my thing is like, you should, if you get a smart person that knows what they're talking about to give you advice on the thing that they're smart about, you have, you are now absolved. You, you've made your last decision to, to work with them. And then you just do whatever they say and you mm -hmm. will get better. And then they want to keep telling you what to do because it's fun to work with you because you're not an asshole. Right. So, you know, <laughs> crucial pieces right there. Crucial. Yeah. I mean, and I'm on the other end now where people come to me and they ask my advice and then they argue with me. And I'm like, then right. why did you ask me? Like, right. don't. If you don't think I know what I'm talking about, if you think you know more than me, then go do whatever you want. Don't don't waste my time. Right. And so, um, you know, I don't I don't care. Like if you think I'm an idiot, that's fine. Go find somebody you don't think is an idiot or just do whatever I tell you because you think I know what I'm talking about. Right. So it's just a very simple. And my thing is like, let's. I want simple and a simple thing is to find an expert, ask what I should do and then just go and do it. Like mm -hmm. I don't have to make any more decisions. I like it. I like it. One of the things you talk about in your book is uh, success and existential dread. Cause you were, you were trucking along 
And part of it, especially in the release, you talk a little bit about just before you you release your book and um, Lucas, Lucas just pops up with a with a very important. But uh, I I don't know. Did you just overlook the question? I don't I don't know. Just for him to for your first cop, your first book is uh, selling your first thousand copies. Right. And then Lucas says, well, I hope you sell them. I hope you sell a thousand. thousand. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I never even crossed my mind to worry about that. What do you mean? Like, what's, what do you mean? What's the question? Well, how do you, how do you then like, so obviously that was a, that was a huge glaring, like, oh no, like in the midst of, of that, uh, piece that, that obviously you weren't, you hadn't thought of what, how do you deal with, I mean, you're talking a lot about red and blue sky kind of you know goals you go to your blue sky goal don't worry about the red sky as much just just keep pushing um for that for that big thing be the writer be the filmmaker if you're going to yeah. be a filmmaker you're going to put out shorts you're going to make movies you're going to make uh commercials you make music videos you're just going to go 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 because that's actually the goal um but if you're you know when we start talking about existential dread do you do you look back and go oh it's it's not really happening yet when when do you feel like, I don't know, it's always the question of when are you arriving or do you arrive and how does the, how does the, how does the stairs work? Like I loved it when somebody said, you know, success is stairs, you know, so it's just, it's just the next one. It's just the next one and it doesn't really change. That was a huge moment uh, for me. Is it, is it kind of similar for you when you think about this kind of success and, and putting things out and uh, being really... Um, I, I don't know, just being really vulnerable even, um, in, in this moment with your writing or with your knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, th- this is a, this is a mix of things. Cause on one hand, like I would answer the question about your first 1000 copies with, okay, I need to sell a thousand copies. I figure out what I need to do every day to get me closer to that goal, put my head back in the water and start swimming. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the other side of this is like coming back to, well, why am I doing the work? Because the problem is if you think you're going to arrive, when you get there, you'll realize like, okay, in the book, the moment where I arrived, I was 32. 33. Uh, Mm -hmm. Am I done? Like, I feel like there's still more to do. Uh, Got, you know, hopefully another 50 years to work. So now what? And so, and that's where you reach this question of, well, why am I working here? Like, what am I doing this for? Is it Mm -hmm. to arrive? uh, Or is it to, you know, again, I come back to, the only way to do this is to do the work for the sake of the work. Anything else will destroy you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so my thing is like it, and my therapist always says you have, you know, one of your measures of emotional health is being, being able to hold two competing ideas at the same time. And Elizabeth Gilbert actually talks about this in big magic where she talks about your art has to be both the most important thing in your life and the least important thing in your life mm-hmm. at the same time. Right? right. So my book coming out extremely important also doesn't really have a lot to do with me. 
right? So on right, you mean the hand, success side of it? Well, even like I wrote the book. That was my job. I, I'm done now. Like right, right. It it is what it is. Like the 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 trench has been dug. You know what? It's now your trench. Do whatever you want with it. You know, mm-hmm. like I've written the book. It's out in the world. Whatever. Like I'm done. And then on the other side, I have a job to promote it. So I go on podcasts and I'm promoting it, but it has nothing to do with whether or not the book is what the book was supposed to be. Mm. That's a, those are two separate jobs, you know, right. good point. And so, uh, I, I was listening to this thing by, um, oh man, who wrote the, who did the album harvest back in like the seventies? Neil Young. Neil Young? Yeah. Yeah. Say Neil Young. So Neil Young, I was watching this thing by him on YouTube and he came out with this album and it was this huge success. Number one album of the year. Not just like number one rock album. It was the number one album of the year. And the next year, he intentionally came out with an album that he knew would fail. I haven't listened to it, but apparently it was like a lot of live songs that were super like sad and kind of morose um and he said he intentionally put it put the car into the ditch because his mm-hmm. biggest concern was it becoming about chasing the success of harvest and not about the work so he intentionally wow. um nosedive his success to test himself to see if he could still do the work without the success Wow. So, so then you come back to these ideas of like in the, uh, I can't ever say it's the Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavad Gita or something. It's like a, uh, a Hindu, one mm-hmm. of the Hindu scriptures. And they talk about how you are, you have a right to the work. You don't have a right to the spoils of the work. Mm. Right. Like I read this article a while back about how writing isn't a job. Stop acting like you should get paid for writing. And I 100% feel like that. Like writing's my job. I don't get paid for that. It's just my work. Like mm-hmm. I have a, I have things that pay my bills. And if somehow along the way my writing makes me money, that's fine. But I didn't have a right to those spoils. Right. That's so just, then I, is that the luck side of things? Sure. It's whatever you want to be. Like mm-hmm. it's because it is like, what if you're a poet, Dan? Right. Like there's, like what three jobs in America where you can make money as a poet. Right. And one is appointed you know by I mean? the white house or whatever. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, so what if you were born a poet? Does that mean you're, you, you will never enjoy your work because you're never paid to be a poet. Like that doesn't make sense. No, but yet there are poets. And so I think, um, looking at these extreme cases. So just because I write thriller novels does not mean I have a right to James Patterson money, you know? Right. Like that's crazy. It will destroy me. It will destroy the work and it will destroy my soul. If I decide I have a right to the spoils of my labor, my job is the work and that is all. And when I say work, it's like the soul work, not what I do for a paycheck. And so, um, so I think it's just important to always have those separate in your mind where like right now I'm trying to sell the book so that I can get spoils for the book and so more people hear the message. 
but that is that had that never those it's a brick wall between that and whether or not the book is what it is supposed to be those are two different things if the book sells a hundred thousand copies a million copies or it stops selling at two thousand copies that is independent of the book those those Mm -hmm. are things that have nothing to do with me that's great advice great advice i I just want to say one more time. Yeah, please. Like, because I heard people say stuff like this before and mm-hmm. I didn't take it seriously. And I know that people are going to hear this and they're not going to take it seriously, but I want you to like put this in your mind so that when you hit the wall, you won't feel afraid. Mm. Like, that is my thing is I hit the wall and I was terrified because I didn't know if there was anything else. And so, getting to that point is extremely important and you'll get there one, you'll either get there or you'll stop. But knowing that it's there is important of like, you have to get to the place where the spoil, the you are, you understand you have no right to the spoils of the work. I'm just taking that home. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm thinking about uh, book number two and I'm like, Oh boy. Because, uh, yeah, personally, I had great success with yeah. the first book, like more success than I ever thought I would. And it was awesome. But now, but now is that the new yeah. benchmark? Right. That's right. the thing I get in my head. Right. I mean, and I've I've stood in the kitchen and talked to New York Times bestselling authors who can't write their next book because they have decided it will only be worthwhile if they hit the Times list again. Oh, rough. So now I have to write a book that is perfect enough to hit the mark that point zero 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 one of books ever hit. Right. So yeah, that's so that's so it's so in in some ways that's that's you're tying yourself in knots for no reason. Well, you're tying yourself in knots because you have um, you are believing a lie. Right. You're believing something about your work that is not true. And mm-hmm. so whenever you're believing a lie, you're going to run into a wall at some point because, you know, reality is what you run into. Um, what is it? I, I think this was a Dallas Willard quote. Reality is what you run into. It's like reality is what you run into when your lie stops working. You know what I mean? Like you can believe mm-hmm. whatever you want, but eventually if you don't believe in gravity, that's going to bite you in the ass. And mm-hmm. so it's like, Um, you can, you believing that your book is only worthwhile if it reaches some kind of level of success is a lie that you will run into reality at some point. Mm -hmm. Well, his book is called running down a dream and you should go pick it up because it'll punch you in the balls. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Tim, thanks so much for being on the show today and telling us, uh, just, just where you're coming from. Yeah. I appreciate it, Dan. And that's our show. I want to thank Tim Grawl for being on the show and sharing with us uh, about his book. The book's called Running Down a Dream. You can get it pretty much anywhere. And um, you should do it. Um, it's actually really super interesting. And I totally recommend the audiobook because, you know, that's just where the, the fine the fine uh, crafting is. Um, if you have any questions that are long form about the show, um, email me, um, dan at portnoymediagroup.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Dan Portnoy. You can also find Tim on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter, and I'll have the links in the show notes so you can uh, see what's what. Um, also, show notes are at danportnoy.com. 
Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd leave us a review about the show, that would be incredible. Um, it just helps with getting the word out there about the show. And I'd appreciate it too. So thank you. That's our show. Thank you for listening. On behalf of the cast of Thousands, my name is Dan Portnoy. Have a great one and be safe.